uses you to um, lift us into the presence of the Lord through music. If you are able to remain standing, let's take our Bibles um, and um, turn to Psalm 119. Well, even if you're not able to remain standing, still take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119. This morning we will read verses 17 through 24. 17 through 24. If you're going to use a Bible from the church, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. You could grab that and turn to page 512. Either way, that would get us to Psalm 119. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. For truly there is no word like your word. And our prayer, even even as the psalmist said it this morning in our passage, open our eyes, Lord, that we would behold wondrous things. So help us in our time together as we look more closely at this text. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to know and to see. Change us. Create in us the very things that are spoken of in this passage. For we pray this. In Christ's name, amen. This is our third unit. There are 22 units following the Hebrew alphabet in Psalm 119, 176 verses. And we're going to try to trudge through this uh, eight verses, or in other words, one unit at a time. This is the third unit. This is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, you might even see a little caption above verse 17 there, Gimel. That's the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Two things I want us to note from our passage this morning, uh, that, uh, that, and that falls along the lines of first four verses and the second four verses. So uh, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20 uh, want us to note something of acknowledging the Lord over or acknowledging Him before we acknowledge our difficulties. And then uh, in verses 21, 22, 23, and 24, I want us to see something of acknowledging our difficulties in front of or before the Lord. So kind of a play on words with before there. Before in the first movement, meaning uh, with a higher priority given to, uh, and before in the second unit, meaning in front of or before uh, in regard to. The other thing I want to note, in part why I divided, why I, why I see this text dividing into two units, is because 
And the psalmist has done this in Psalm 119 already. He'll use a phrase or a term in each of these units that kind of help us to kind of see something of the structural function of this passage. And so in this passage, verses 17 through 24, the structural marker is, is, revolves around the term uh, your servant. You see, he uses it in verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant. And then he'll use it again toward the end there in verse 23, uh, where he says, um, even though princes set plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And so uh, a, a, the psalmist here is identifying himself as a servant of the Lord. Now, that's not a really, in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament, that's not a a flippant or casual term. It's a very uh, precise term. Uh, uh, someone who is a servant of the Lord is a someone who lives dependently upon the Lord because that person is living in covenant relationship with the Lord. And so that person is a, is a, is a servant of the Lord because that person, A, lives dependently upon the provisions and the promises of the Lord in covenant relationship. But secondly, that person not only is dependent upon the Lord, but a servant of the Lord lives with a, a devotion to the Lord. He wants to seek the Lord and obey the Lord and follow the Lord. And so we see that played out here in these verses that, that, that are revolving around the term your servant or a servant of the Lord. We see uh, uh, a dependence upon the Lord and we see a devotion to the Lord. Now we'll see that in both units. So first of all, acknowledging the Lord over our difficulties. We see dependence and devotion throughout these first four verses. Now, um, this, this unit introduces us to some of the difficulties that the psalmist is experiencing. And it's the first of many units. Remember, I told you a couple weeks ago that adversity and difficulty are referenced over 50 times in these 176 psalm, uh, 76 verses of Psalm 119. And, and so and this is the first unit, though, um, that is um, allowing us to eavesdrop on uh, some of the adversity that the psalmist is facing, as well as some of the personal struggle uh, that he's going through uh, as a result of that adver- adversity. And, and, and before we are done with this unit, verses 17 through 24, we will have a better picture of the nature and the, peculiar, the particulars of this difficulty are adversity. And, and yet, in the first half of this unit, verses 17 through 20, he doesn't bring up the difficulty. We've got to wait till we get to verse 21. Yeah, well, I take that back. There, there's, a, there's a real vague reference at the end, in verse 20 as to his difficulty where he just simply says, I am a sojourner. In other words, I'm at a place that I... That I I'm, I don't belong there. I'm not really from around there. I, 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 I don't, I, I, I'm not familiar with this place. And so that's, the, that's the, the only reference to his difficulty there. Actually, he says it in verse 19, not verse 20. But, so that's the only reference in these first four verses that might indicate that there's some difficulty going on here. This, but the point is, is that in these, this first unit, uh, this first section of this, first, of this unit, it, it is not bringing up the difficulty at all. And I, I think that's huge for us to maybe mull over because we are seeing something of the psalmist's perspective 
on things, on, on even the difficult things of life. The focus in verses 17, 18, 19, and 20 is not upon the difficulty that he's facing, but upon the Lord whom he is going to turn to as he faces that difficulty. That's huge. It's huge because, in fact, the most profound factor as to how you and I face the difficult situations and the difficult circumstances of our lives is not really about the nature or the particulars of our difficult situations, not, not to minimize them and to, make, and, to, and, and to make little of them, but the most profound factor as to how we face and experience difficult situations and circumstances is the particulars percolating in our hearts in regard to God. I mean, there's only two kinds of days that you could have this week. There are good days and there are bad days. I mean, it's going to fall on one of those two lines for you this week. Now, I'd hope it falls more on this line for you this week. But if you have a series of good days this week, praise God. But you realize that still, the days that you and I are facing are never so good that we are never in complete need for God's grace, even in the best of our days. It's a good day. Praise God. But you needed God's grace all throughout that good day. I mean, what accounts for it even being a good day to begin with? What do you have that you've not received? Or on the other hand, there may be a couple of these days thrown into the mix this week. There may even be more of them than than we would otherwise wish for. But, but, but realize this, that the most important uh, factor in our lives this week is not the degree and the amount of difficult days because our days are never so bad that we are never without the immediate access. Thank you, Lord. The immediate access to God's grace in the most difficult of our days. And so therefore the first four verses focus us, uh, the psalmist focuses upon this, and he, he, is, he is used by God to help us to focus upon this, to, to focus upon God and not our difficulties. That, that's not a denial of difficulties. That's not an avoidance of difficulties. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've figured this one out yet, but difficult days are normal. Frustration is normal. Disappointment is normal. Sickness is normal. Conflict is normal. Persecution is normal. Danger is normal. Stress is normal. Anxiety is normal. Now, it's normal because, dang, because there's something really wrong down here at the moment. But I allude to that. Because when I say that our focus needs to be first upon God and not our difficulties, is, is because otherwise, how will we maneuver through the difficulties in life? 
I've been, uh, I haven't read the book yet, but I've been listening to podcasts about, uh, from the two authors of this book. There's a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Jonathan Haidt is one of the authors. It's not a particularly Christian book, but the premise of the book is that, uh, is that the present generation is extremely fragile. We, the, an unintended consequence of trying to create notions of safety is, is we've created a, a category of people who don't know how to function unless they're constantly living in an immediate, approximate, safe experience. That's not normal. This side of eternity, this is not a safe place. We, we, we have to have the, the mental and spiritual resources in order to function in a world that is dangerous and difficult, in a world that is full of struggle and adversity. We have to have categories for that and, and because we have to know how to function without crumbling un- under the fragility of our hearts and souls. And so, so these first four verses show us a focus upon God because it's setting that order right. It's, it's an order of importance and significance. You and I will never have the, the resources to deal with the difficulties of life unless we figure out where God fits into all of that. Psalmist is acknowledging the Lord over his difficulties. He is acknowledging the Lord before he ever gets to the particulars of his difficulty. And I want to note just a couple of observations in these verses as to how he does this. He does this through dependence and through devotion, if you would. Now let's look at verse 17. I'll read it again. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may keep, uh, that I may live, that I may live and keep your word. So the psalmist is obviously in a situation where he's even wondering, am I going to continue to be alive? Is, is this difficulty so acute that it may snuff me out? You, you talk about, on the one hand, not feeling very safe. And, 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 yet, and yet, he's on the one hand, he's asking the Lord, uh, when he says deal bountifully, he's asking the Lord to prolong his life. Lord, get me through this. And yet, the, the request to prolong his life, did you see this in verse 17, is for a purpose. Lord, that I may live and keep your word. The psalmist wants to live. You know what? I want to live. I, I'm 59. I, I, I've already, I've already like done the math, and my 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 youngest um, or, or my my youngest grandchildren are still under one right now, and I and I'm I'm trying to figure out the math so that um, when they are 13 years old, and, and I'm trying to figure out well, how old will I be when they're 13 years old, and I'll be like hitting, I'll be like just past over 70, and I'm thinking I, I want I'm, I'm plotting and scheming, I want to live so that when I'm 70 something years old, I'm taking my teenage grandkids on across the whole Katy Trail. Multiple days. I want to live to do that 
See, God, I'm wanting prolonging for a purpose, and that's fine. The Lord may grant that kind provision for me, but there has to be a bigger purpose in my life than just simply, oh, Lord, let me hold on until I can go on the Katy Trail with my grandkids. I mean, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful gift, but there's a, there's a grander purpose in life than that. And the psalmist is uh, hitting us with it. He says, I want to live that I may keep your Word. He, he, he wants to live because in his mind, such a life should consist of keeping God's word. That is his aim. That is his ambition. What's our aim this week? What's our aim for our lives? We could have sub-aims. I aim to ride the Katy Trail when I'm in my early 70s with my grandkids, all right? That's just, you know. But there has to be a grander aim. There has to be a deeper ambition uh, to my life. And, and yet, do you see the dependence? Even as he weaves this devotion here, Lord, I want to live because in my mind to live is to keep your word. That, that's why I should be living. That, that's what living consists of. And yet, even that, he, he expresses, and so, Lord, deal bountifully with me. Do you see the other dependence that he has? I, I, I want to live to keep your word, but, Lord, to do that, I, I realize that I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this without you. I, I, I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps on this one. You must provide me, Lord, what I need in order to live with the aim and the ambition to keep your word. Oh, what an awareness. What an awareness I suggest to you, not only of his dependence upon the Lord, but on his awareness of the Lord's dependability. The second way he expresses his dependence and devotion is in verse 18. He says there, here's the prayer, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, he wants to live to keep God's law. That's verse 17. And, and, and yet he wants to live to keep God's law because, I mean, we're, honestly, we're seeing something of the psalmist's uh, uh, compelling vision for his life. He seeks to, he aims to seek God. He, he aims to live according to God's word. Uh, he, he aims to live in such a way that God is, a, is at the center of his experience and that his life is ordered by God's word. Why? Because, because what he's telling us in verse 18 is he wants to live that way because that is what he's attracted to. That, that is what he sees as an attractive way to live. He, because he's convinced that there are wondrous things in God's Word. You see, this, this, this is not just common stuff that I get to occasionally see or glance or look at. These are incredible things. These are beautiful things. These are wonderful things to be seen. And yet, even here in this devotion that's birthed out of this compelling vision that, that there are wonderful things to see in God's law, do you see how he, 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 he says, but there's a glitch here. And the glitch is not that there's not wonderful things in God's word. The glitch is I have difficulty seeing those wonderful things. And so, Lord, I know there's wonderful things in your law, but could you open my eyes? Could you help me to see them? 
Could you show them to me? There's, there's this incredible passage in 2 Kings chapter 6 where um, the king of Syria um, has um, the prophet Elisha on his hit list. And uh, he's got spies out trying to track down Elisha. And, and, and the spies come back and says, he's in Dothan. Not as in Alabama, but as in the Middle East. He's in Dothan. And so uh, the king of Syria amasses his army and, and he surrounds um, Dothan, he's because he's, he's going to pluck out Elisha and pluck out his life. And, and the servant of Elisha is petrified, overwhelmed by what he sees. He sees the city besieged by the Assyrian army. And, 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 and yet, what is so beautiful about this passage in 2 Kings 6 is that we are reminded that there are levels of seeing. Elisha prays for the, his servant, and, and, and that prayer uh, permits the servant to see with a whole other level of eyesight. He sees that which is otherwise unseen. He, he had previously just seen the physical army of the Syrians, but now he sees with, with his eyes open a spiritual army. It tells us of horses and chariots of fire. He, he sees this, this supernatural angelic host that is camped around the Assyrian army who's encamped around them. He's reminded of, of, of a, a constant truth that, that you and I could lose sight of, and that is there are more for us than there are against us. You see, we don't normally naturally see those things, and our consciousness always has to be, Lord, Lord, there's things that I see, and that troubles my heart, that worries me. I see the difficulties, I see the adversity, I see the struggles, and, but Lord, help me to see on a whole nother level. And even when it comes to the Word of God, on the one hand, it, it's, it's a book. Uh, it's a book, and, and so it's got sentences and paragraphs and chapters and verses and all of that. And, when, and we would read it with our mind, and we would read it thoughtfully, and we would try to understand the structure of those sentences. We would, we would read it in that sense like any other book. And yet, on another level, it ain't like any other book. It's God's book. And when we read it, then, we're not just reading it with our own brains, our own smarts. We're, yes, we're doing that, but we're not just doing that. We are, we are to read it prayerfully. Lord, open my eyes as I read your word this morning. That May you show me wondrous things from your word. I mean, even in Jesus' time, the, the, the highfalutin religious experts, they, they were skilled in their own mind in the study of God's Word. And, and yet Jesus tells them in John chapter 5, He says, You guys search the Scriptures thinking that in them they, you find eternal life. But then He says, But it is they that testify of Me. So on the way, they thought themselves skilled experts in the Bible but they didn't have the eyes to see the overarching point of the whole Bible. Those things are spiritually given to us. So we are dependent upon the Lord uh, to even ask Him to show us what's in His Word. And then the psalmist doubles down in in verse 19 uh, upon his need for God's help in seeing and discovering God's Word rightly, where he just simply says, hide not, in the second part of verse 19, hide not your commandments from me. 
So we need God's help to see God's word. That's the positive statement of that. And we need to acknowledge that if God was so pleased, he could hide his word from us. Kind of makes us think, I'm not completely in charge of this, am I? No, we're not. Jesus prayed in, in, in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Lord, I thank you that you've hidden these things. You've hidden these things from the wise and the learned And you have revealed these things to the children, the humble. We want to be people who seek God through his word. And yet, even seeking God through his word is a thing that is done dependently. And then in verse 20, where he just simply says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. He, he, he even goes deeper in expressing his devotion to the Lord. He says, in essence, what he's saying here by verse 20, even before he gets to the nature of his difficulties, he says, Lord, I, I, want, to, Lord, I want to know your word more than I want to even be relieved of my difficulties. And then, and then in verse 21, he alludes, he begins to allude to his difficulties. Then he, he takes his difficulties and he acknowledges them in front of the Lord, acknowledges them before the Lord. And, and, and so, asked, so, so he sought the Lord first, and, and, and now he's going to, in seeking the Lord first, allude to and reference some of the difficulties that he's experiencing. Look at verse 22. This is the quickest way to jump into what is he experiencing. Take away from me scorn and contempt. That is what, that is the nature of the difficulty that he is facing. He is being maligned and mistreated. And then verse 23 adds to that, uh, that, that even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And so it's not just um, ordinary um, uh, uh, scorn and contempt. Uh, it, it, is, it is people in power, princes, who are treating him, regarding him with scorn and contempt. And so, now again, I, I still think that Psalm 119 is probably a portrait of, of Daniel. Maybe even written by Daniel, but, but at least it's a portrait of Daniel. And, I, and, the, and the particular episode in Daniel's life that I think of is in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel um, is, he, uh, there's, there's political envy and even ethnic hostility occurring in his life. I mean, he's not from around here. He is a sojourner, but he's in captivity at this moment. And, and as a sojourner in a foreign land, uh, he has, God has given him grace, and he's ascended to a, a position of power. And, and yet, and yet uh, the other politicians, if you would, are angry and envious of this, in part because he's ethnically not one of us. He's one of them. And so there's, you see the relevance that goes on in God's word? I mean, we've, we've gotten so sophisticated in our culture, and yet we're still not quite over the pettiness of ethnic hostilities and political envy. Still percolates and still presents difficulties even in our own day and time. And out of envy, the, these other uh, individuals, these other leaders bring 
bogus charges against Daniel. Even though he was living a life of, of focus and purity, they, 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 they found something against him in regard to how he worshipped God as to bring some sort of flim-flam charges against him. So princes were plotting against him. But then verse 21, I think we see the thing behind the thing. The under, uh, so he's being treated with scorn and contempt. Uh, even people in power are, are, are treating him with that scorn and contempt. And then he says in verse 21, to introduce the subject, you rebuke the insolent, the accursed ones who wander from your command. So certainly they regard him with scorn and contempt. Certainly there are people in power. But then he sees them from God's perspective. They are arrogant. They are full of themselves. And then he says they are the accursed ones. I would suggest to you what he is alluding to that is as the psalmist is facing his difficulty, he ultimately sees the people perpetrating the difficulty against him from the perspective of God. What, what ultimately settles his heart is that he sees the big picture. He sees the ultimate destiny of those who are treating him with contempt and scorn. He sees the ultimate destiny of those who think they have political muscle, but who's a part of a kingdom that won't last forever. He, he, their current condition is that they are cut off from God. They are accursed. On the one hand, you say, well, no wonder they're so mean. No wonder they're so miserable and envious. They don't have the Lord in their life. And I say that to say if you and I have the Lord in our life, then certainly what should not characterize us, when people think of us, the first thing they should not think of is that we are people of contempt and scorn, that, that we treat others with contempt and scorn. We're, we're not like that. We should not be like that people at all because we are not accursed by God. We, we are in relationship with God. That uh, These people are mean and miserable because they have no happiness from God. They wander, this verse tells us, from God's commands. And so the psalmist is entrusting himself to God. He is leaving the matter in God's hands. God will address the matter. God will take the matter into his own hands. He does such a thing for his covenant people. Now, it's not passivity, nor is it irresponsibility. The psalmist is actively responsible to God, whom he's entrusting the outcome of this difficulty into the hands of his God. And so while the psalmist sees something of his difficulty, uh, he, he, is, he is utterly confident before the Lord. Not self-confidence, but confidence by the grace of God. And that confidence does not immediately wave off the hurt. It doesn't quickly wave off the pain or the sadness or the suffering uh, or the struggle with his difficulty, but it does reorient his focus. His focus is seen once again in his devotion to the Lord. He said in verse 20, I, I have longing to keep your rules. He says in verse 22, I have kept your testimonies. He says in verse 23, I will meditate on your statutes. Isn't that interesting? Because there's a play on words here. The princes plot against me. Literally, the princes are meditating against me. They're thinking about me, thinking how to take me out. But I will meditate upon your statutes. Do you ever think when someone has it in for you, 
and you know they're plotting and scheming to take you out. It's so temptuous at that moment to say, fight fire with fire. They're plotting and scheming. They're meditating on how to take me out. I'm going to meditate on a counter move to take them out. That's not what he says, though. As they're meditating against me, I'm meditating upon the Lord and his word. When someone has it in for you, our first thought must be, God, what does your word say? The psalmist is guided by God's word because he is being guarded by God, the God of the word. And he can entrust himself into God's hands and have that sense of devotion. Now, one last thing I would say. All this language about a servant of the Lord, it, we would be amiss if we didn't mention one thing about not just a servant of the Lord, but how the Scriptures focus us around the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was scorned and treated with contempt, who, who even the leaders in his own day and age plotted for his demise. We see so much parallel between what the psalmist is experiencing and what the Lord himself is experiencing. And that reminds you and I, among other things, that, that whatever difficulty you are walking through at this moment, there is another who has walked through an even greater measure of difficulty. He is able to sympathize with us. And the great irony is that, as truth be known, where are we at in that equation with the Lord? We, we were actually, if we were there, we would actually be counted as those who plotted against him and, and spoke with contempt and scorn against him. We would be the ones who would rightly be accursed. And yet on the cross, the Lord swapped out your life, my life, with his life. The Lord bore up under the curse of God for people like you and me. He bore up under the curse that when we treat God with contempt and scorn, when we wander from his commandments, he is the Lord who laid down his life to rescue us from the very curse of God. Turn to Christ. Trust only in Jesus. And it resets our life with God. It resets how we see God. It resets, therefore, how we can see the difficulties of our life through our relationship with God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word teaches us and helps us to see wondrous things from your word. Father, give us the grace this week that we need, whether, whether what falls in our place is good days or bad days. Father, may we see you in each and every one of our days. And may we turn to you and trust in you. And may our love for you give rise to seeking you. For we pray these things in Christ's name.